Hi everyone, welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. This summer, uh, Brian and I have been tag team tag teaming the sermon series that we're calling Vintage. And what we're doing this summer is we're looking at some of the uh, stories, particularly some of the uh, characters, if you will, some of the men and women in the Old Testament, because we believe there are some life lessons uh, from these stories in the Old Testament that apply to us today. Some things we can learn about leadership, about leading our families, about following Jesus, and that we can learn from these folks in the Old Testament. So that's what we've been doing all summer. We'll continue all the way through Labor Day weekend uh, looking at this vintage series. These life lessons from the Old Testament. So as we continue this series from the Old Testament today, I need you to come with me to the New Testament. I know, bear with me. Because in the book of Hebrews, we have a special passage that we need to pay attention to that will help us set up what we're going to talk about from the Old Testament today. In the 11th chapter of the Hebrews, God gives us these quick little synopsis of some of the heroes of our faith from the Old Testament. That's kind of what chapter 11 is. Oftentimes we call chapter 11 the hall of fame of faith. Now, you know what a hall of fame is. We live about 30 miles from the um, Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're about 80 miles right now from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We are about 47 miles, did you know this, from the Inventors Hall of Fame. Did you know that was a thing? Hmm, yeah, it's an Akron. It's, an, it's a thing. Never been there myself. Haven't been the other two either. That's okay. We know what a Hall of Fame is. It's all about, uh, in our region, Hall of Fame. So when you go to the Hall of Fame or when someone gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, they make a plaque, they make a bust of the person, and they have a speech, and they have a highlight package. They, especially if you watch it on TV, you'll see the highlights of what this person did in their career as a musician or as an athlete. And you'll see the, the highlights. And that's what Hebrews 11 is. Each verse in Hebrews 11, or each section of Hebrews 11, is here's what somebody did, and here's who somebody is that's in this Hall of Fame, and here's what they did. It's the highlight package. It's the highlight reel, if you will. Um, let me show you a couple, just so you get the idea of what's going on here. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, talks about Noah. You guys remember Noah and the ark? So here's, here's the highlight package. Here's the story of Noah in a, in, a, in a highlight package, in a nutshell, if you will. It was by faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. The whole story of Noah, which if you go back to the book of Genesis, takes up four or five chapters of the book of Genesis, the whole story of Noah is scrunched down into one highlight package right there in one verse. Noah obeyed God, built an ark, saved his family. That's the whole story in a nutshell, in the highlight package. You see what we did here? All right, let me show you another one. Uh, verse 11, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. You can put that of your cars. Does not know where he is going, right? Only that's not what God's talking about here. He said Abraham did not know the end of his story, yet he trusted God anyway. He obeyed God anyway. Think about that. God comes to Abraham. says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your land, 
leave your people and go to a place that I will show you. Somebody walks out as Abraham is packing up his family and his mule and, hey, hey, Abraham, where are you going? I have no idea. Well, Abraham, how can you go to a place where you have no idea? God is going to show me. Well, how will you know when you get there? I guess God will say, stop. I'm just going to trust him. I don't know about you, but if somebody says to me, hey, Larry, get in the car with me. All right, yeah, yeah. Where are we going? Eh, don't worry about it. Just get in the car. <laughs> I've seen way too many mafia movies to know that somebody get in the car without a destination, it's over for them. I'm not doing that. But it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of being willing to say, okay, God, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Matter of fact, when you say that out loud with me, that's a great lesson for us to learn today. I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to trust God anyway. Well, that's what Hebrews 11 does. This whole chapter in our New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it takes these great stories of these great heroes of our faith from the Old Testament and kind of whittles them down to a verse or two. And I want to show you one more, and this is the guy I want to talk about today. One more verse, one more story. This one little verse is the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Here, here's how it goes. Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph. Now, before I go on, before I show you what the writer of Hebrews summarizes Joseph's life with, what, what the verse says, I want to tell you Joseph's story. I want to play a little game with you today. I want to see if you can guess which part of Joseph's story is the highlight film. Which part of this story is the moment that the writer of Hebrews says, this is how we remember Joseph? Because his story is incredible, all right? Let, 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 me just, let me tell you a story. So we meet Joseph first in Genesis 37. So way back in the first book of the Bible, in the 37th chapter, we meet Joseph. When we meet him, he is 17 years old. Some of you are 17 right now. He is the 11th of 12 sons. So he's got 10 older brothers who kind of hate his guts because he's kind of a daddy's boy. They don't like him a bit. And in one of the most familiar parts of Joseph's story, Joseph's dad, this guy named Jacob, who's one of the pillars of faith, Jacob gives Joseph a very special coat. Now, we often call this the coat of many colors, Joseph's coat of many colors, and it's a familiar and a fun way to teach a Bible story to our children. The coat in Scripture wasn't necessarily colorful. It may have been. We don't know, but it looks great on flannel graph or with crayons. The word actually meant, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the word actually means the coat was very expensive and that it was long. That means the sleeve of the coat came all the way down to his fingertips. Why does that matter? It means this is not a work coat. This is not the Carhartt, all right? This is not a work coat. They lived on a farm. They lived in an agrarian society. Daddy comes out to the 12 brothers and comes up to one of them and gives him a tuxedo instead of Carhartts. You don't milk the cows. You don't slop the hogs in a tuxedo. You with me? And this just helped fuel the hate that Joseph's brothers had for him. Of course, it also didn't help that Joseph started having all these crazy, crazy dreams. 
And he loved to tell his brothers about his crazy dreams. And so one day, he has the guts, remember this is the little brother, has the guts to come to breakfast and say, hey guys, last night I dreamed that you were all stars and daddy was the sun and mama was the moon and you were all bowing down to me. That's a little brother waiting to get punched, isn't it? <laughs> Which is not, not the first time he had told them about a dream he'd had where they were all bowing down to him. He's asking for a beatdown from his big brothers. Here's this little brother bragging about God giving him these dreams of superiority over the rest of the family. His brothers are now so angry because of the coat, because of the dreams, because of this just snot-nosed little brother, they're so angry about him, they start trying to figure out a way, literally, to kill him. They want Joseph gone, done. One of the older brothers, a kid by the name of Reuben, which is, makes a great sandwich, Reuben, three of you got that joke. All right, stay with me here. I haven't been up here in a while. I got, I got something. All right. Um, Reuben, this one, the one of the old brothers, Reuben, talks the rest of the brothers out of killing their little brother, Joseph. But instead, they decide they're going to beat him up a little bit, and they throw him down into a pit, a hole that he can't get out of. So now he's trapped in this pit in, in the wilderness, beaten up, bloody, and and beaten. They're trying to decide, what do we do with him? Finally, they decide the best way to get rid of him, if we're not going to kill him, the best way to get rid of him is we're going to sell him. And so they do. They sell their brother into slavery. So imagine, you, remember when you were 17? You're grabbed up. You're beaten up by the people you thought were your family. The people you thought you could trust. You're sold into slavery. You're taken to a land where you don't speak the language. He's taken all the way to Egypt. And he's not going to ever see his family again, as far as he knows. What a story. How do you sum that up? By faith, Joseph. But wait, the story's not over yet. When he gets to Egypt, he gets bought, this new slave, Joseph, gets bought by this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar was an Egyptian official who was in charge of all the prisons in Egypt. And before you know it, Joseph, this young man at this point, this now slave, has earned the respect and the trust of his master Potiphar, so much so that Potiphar begins to make Joseph the head of his household. He entrusts everything he has to this slave, Joseph. And that's when Joseph runs into Potiphar's wife. Scripture says that Joseph was, I'm quoting here, a very handsome and well-built young man. I know a lot of you men in this church, you know what that burden's like, to be handsome and, and well-built. I, I, know, I know you know this struggle. Well, that, of course, means that Joseph, this young, handsome, and well-built young man, gets noticed he's probably 19 20 years old at this point in his story and here's potiphar's wife beginning to pay him some <clears throat> attention you with me but instead of being taken in by the flattery or the lust instead of being taken in falling under the power of this powerful woman who has a in a position of influence in the kingdom 
would mean wealth and position and power for him. A woman who could do some things for him if he would do some things for her. Joseph said, no ma'am, no ma'am. I can't get involved with you. How could I do that to my God? And how could I do that to your husband, my master? There's no way I could do that. Isn't that brave of a teenager to have that kind of courage? Well, that, that's got to be the part of the story that shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, right? That's got to be the moment. Well, hold on, because we're still not done with Joseph's story. Because things take a pretty dark turn in Joseph's story next. He tells Potiphar's wife, no, 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 no. Thanks, but no thanks. She doesn't give up. She continues to pursue him sexually. And one day she thinks, I'm just going to grab him. I'm just going to take him. And she grabs a hold of his coat. Guys, what would you have done? 19, 20 years old, some woman wants you so badly that she just grabs a hold of you? Well, guess what Joseph does? He runs away. He wriggles somehow out of his coat, runs out of the house. The problem was that he left her holding his coat. And when her husband comes through the door at the end of the day, she says, guess what your servant tried to do to me today? And she accuses Joseph of attacking her, trying to rape her, and her husband believes her. So Joseph is now thrown into prison. He'd been living with the guy in charge of the prisons and the guy just threw him into prison he's no longer managing the household he's no longer in a position of trust or respect he's now a prisoner tough story but yet he is still faithful even in this moment he meets two men while he's in prison one was a baker one was a cup bearer for the king the pharaoh they both worked for pharaoh the king of egypt well, these two guys, while they're all in prison together, these two guys, the baker and the cupbearer, they begin having some weird dreams, and they can't figure them out. And Joseph is able, through God's power, to interpret the dreams for them. He says to the baker, yeah, your dream means you're going to die. And he says to the cupbearer, good news for you, your dream means you are going to be returned to the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And both of these interpretations come true, just like Joseph said as he interpreted the dreams. So fast forward two more years. Pharaoh, the king, begins having some strange and troubling dreams. In the dream he keeps having, there are seven fat cows that come up out of the Nile River, and seven skinny cows come up out of the Nile River, and the skinny cows eat the fat cows, but they don't gain any weight, which is the diet that I've been looking for all my life. Eat a lot of cow, don't gain any weight. So Dr. Moore, if you could hit me up with that, I'd appreciate that. All right, what a weird dream. The cupbearer of the king hears the Pharaoh talking about these weird dreams. He says, hey, Pharaoh, wait a minute. I, I know a guy. I know a guy who can interpret dreams for you. And before you know it, Joseph is brought out of the prison and is standing in the palace in front of Pharaoh. Can you believe it? He goes from prisoner in the presence of the king, interpreting his dream. And when he, interpret, when he interprets the dream, he says, all right, Pharaoh, here's what the dream means. The seven fat cows mean that we're going to have seven years of great harvest here in Egypt. The seven skinny cows, the lean cows, that means we're going to have seven years of famine. 
and the seven years of famine will consume all of the seven years of harvest and you're going to run out of food and your people will die. And Pharaoh says, well then, we got to be prepared. And Joseph, I think you're the man to make sure we save up the grain. And what seems like a flash, Joseph goes from being a prisoner where the Bible says the Lord was with him and basically, in a, just a flash, he basically becomes the vice president of Egypt. The Pharaoh's right-hand man, the king's number one helper. And he's in charge of all the grain, storing and distributing through the famine. What a story. What a story. How are you going to summarize that story down to one sentence in Hebrews chapter 11? What sentence is the highlight package of Joseph's story? Oh, wait, we're not done yet. There's more. So there's Joseph. Seven years, stockpiling the grain through the, the bountiful harvest, overseeing, and then the famine hits, he's now overseeing the distribution of food to people who are starving. He's literally saving lives. And who comes in to beg for food from the vice president of Egypt other than Joseph's brothers? Remember them from the pit? Joseph's brothers come in begging. More than a decade later, here they come. Now, Joseph recognizes them right away, but they don't recognize him. They, out of sight, out of mind. It's been more than 10 years. They figure their brother is dead and gone. Think about how long he's been gone. At least a decade, maybe more. The fact is now he, he is talking like an Egyptian. He speaks the language. He, he looks like an Egyptian. He's probably been walking like an Egyptian. <laughs> Did I really preach this whole sermon just to make that joke? Mm, you can be there. They had no idea, no idea what was going on with their little brother. But then... Put yourself in Joseph's seat for a minute. You're on a throne. You're in a position of power. You control all the cards. And you're looking at the scoundrels who tried to ruin your life. Who sold you. Who beat you. Who threw you away. And now you're in the position of power. You could snap your fingers and they would be executed before they got out of the room. But not Joseph. Listen to what he says to them. Genesis chapter 50. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He forgave them. And over the course of the next couple of chapters, he ends up bringing the entire family, including his father, back together in Egypt to safety, where they would be taken care of. And the end of the story is dad, Jacob, coming to Egypt, and the brothers are forgiven, and the family is reunited, and the line of Jesus, this is why this matters to us, these are Jesus' ancestors. The line of Jesus is saved. Wow. What a story. So let's, let's see if we can figure it out. Can you tell me the most important line in the story? 
Can, can, what part of the story makes the Hebrews 11 highlight film? His refusal to be engaged with Pharaoh's wife, his willingness to forgive his brothers, his faithfulness to God, his saving his whole family. What would you say? What's the most important part of the story? Can I, can I just tell you? I was a bit shocked when I went back and reread this story and compared it against Hebrews chapter 11, what the writer of Hebrews says is the highlight package. I was a little bit shocked about what the Hebrew writer says about Joseph's life. You ready to see it? Here's what it says. Here's the highlight package of Joseph's life. Here we go. By faith, Joseph. When his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I'm sorry, what? There's nothing about Potiphar's wife there. There's nothing about forgiveness of his brothers. There's nothing about getting sold into some, what? Exodus of Israel from Egypt gave instructions concerning the burial. This is not Hall of Fame stuff, burial of bones. This isn't the highlight film. I was so confused. I had to go back to the book of Genesis again to see what he's talking about. And these lines from Hebrews 11, these lines come right from the very end of the book of Genesis where it says that Joseph stayed in Egypt with his father's family and lived to be 110 years old. It even talks about how he got to hold his great-great-grandchildren on his knee. Genesis 50, let me read it to you. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. But surely, God, God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Again, that's the line of Jesus, and that's his dad. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's the end of the book of Genesis. That's how the story ends. And we need to end the sermon. <laughs> because you're saying, no, I don't get it, Larry. Why is this one thing so important? This is the key. This is today's life lesson from the Old Testament in this vintage series. You ready? Joseph is 110 years old. He knows he's about to die. The frightening time for any of us is when we're facing death. And Joseph calls his family. Maybe his brothers were still alive. His dad probably wasn't. But his family, his kids, his grandkids, his great-great-grandkids, all gathered together and says, listen, don't forget, there is a promised land. There is something more than what we experience every day. There's something greater for us than this. Why does he need to tell them that? Do you realize how long they've lived there? They've lived long enough for children to be born in Egypt who have had children born in Egypt who had children born in Egypt. They've been there more than 90 years since Joseph brought them all there. So I want you to ponder what it was like to have been away so long from your home, so long away from the promises of God that you start to think, well, this is as good as it gets. 
This is, this is what we are. This, is, this doesn't get any better than this. This is what we've got to deal with. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. Maybe some of the youngsters were saying, if great-grandpa brings up that promised land thing one more time, I'm going to throw up. I'm so sick of every time we're going to the promised land, we're going to the promised land. Give it up, Grandpa. We're not going anywhere. Well, today, let Joseph speak to you. And let him say to you, don't bury me here. You know, if they buried him in Egypt, he probably would have had a pyramid for a tomb. He was that important in Egypt. But instead, he says, take my bones and put them in something portable. Put them in a carry-on suitcase. Put them, put them in a backpack. Just, just put my bones in a backpack. Grandpa, why can't we bury you like everyone else? I want you to have my bones in a backpack so that you can take them with you when you leave here. You can take me with you to the promised land. That's going to be weird, Grandpa. People say, hey, what's in the backpack? Grandpa? <laughs> Why do you have your grandpa in a backpack? He thinks we're leaving. I don't know. How often do you think they noticed the backpack? That coffin over there in the corner of the house. Well, guess what happened? Shortly after Joseph dies, a new pharaoh comes onto the throne of Egypt. A pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph or his family or his people, the Hebrews. And this new pharaoh puts the Hebrew people into slavery. The entire nation is now in slavery. And for years, they cry out to God. 400 years, they cry out to God. They are slaves in Egypt, and they cry out to God, God, deliver us. God, save us. God, send us a deliverer. God, let us go back to the promised land. Deliver us. Save us, God. And God brings along a man 400 years later named Moses, who you also read about in Hebrews 11. And Moses delivers them through God's mighty hand. And the Hebrew people, for the first time in 400 plus years, are free. They get to leave Egypt. They get to go to the promised land. And guess what leaves Egypt with the children of Israel? A backpack full of bones. They take Joseph's bones, and today, if you go to Israel, you can see where they're buried. So why does this matter? Why have I just spent the last 30 minutes talking about this? Why does it matter? You ever feel like you're unusable to God, to the people around you? You ever feel like you're unworthy of God doing something through you? You ever feel like God hasn't done anything big through you? Like you're unimportant or unneeded or unnecessary or unwanted or, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Joseph had those moments. But over the course of 110 years, you know what Joseph was mostly known for? What the Hebrew writer highlights? That day by day, Faithful, day by day, one step at a time, one day at a time, one challenge at a time, Joseph just kept 
faithfully following God. He kept his eyes on something bigger than the moment. He kept his focus on eternity. Some of you need to hear today. That's the goal. That's, that's the goal. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but your purpose in life, my purpose in life, is probably not some great, big, fabricated warrior hero thing. Instead, your life and my life is to be marked with day by day, one step at a time, faithfully following Jesus. Eventually, eventually they're going to put your bones in something, but there's a part of you that's going to last forever. So keep your eyes on eternity. Keep faithfully, daily, step at a time, following Jesus. Let me pray for you. Our community team, we'll go ahead and take their places. Father, I thank you for this story of Joseph. And although he did these amazing things in these amazing moments, that we know him best for being faithful to you. So God, give us that same courage to day by day realize our purpose, our most important, is to follow you. In our, in our ordinary in our common, we follow you, faithfully following you, becoming more like your son, Jesus, faithfully raising our children and faithfully serving our community and faithfully loving those around us. Not because it's heroic, not because we'll get our name in the paper, not because somebody's going to pat us on the back, but because we are faithfully following you in the little things, in the everyday. So give us the courage to do that. And now, Father, as we turn to our time of communion, we invite you to speak to us as we partake in the body and the blood of Jesus. As we unite ourselves with you, would you remind us of how much we are loved and encourage us to be faithful to that love. We pray in the name of Jesus.